I truly believe that it is not possible currently or anymore and it will never be possible again for a single proprietary company to replicate the open source experience without using any open source components. Open source has gotten too big, too valuable and at an extremely rapid pace. Hi, I'm Stephanie Tumampas and you're listening to Down to Earth, the show where we talk to incredible geoscientists about their size and its impacts on our planet. This season, we're speaking to a wide variety of folks to investigate all things open science. Now, some years ago, I was in my first engineering design classes. The school didn't have the funding to access proprietary software for some of our courses. Some students found a workaround with their class projects, and by that, I mean they used pirated software. You cannot imagine how frustrating it is to be working all night on a project only to have the program suddenly stop working because the license crack has failed. So, it's got me wondering, how can we prevent students and fellow scientists from experiencing these challenges in the future? The answer? Open source! Today, I'm chatting with a motorcycle-loving coder whose finger is on the pulse of the open source community. This episode of Down to Earth is brought to you by the IEEE Geoscience and Remote Sensing Society. The GRSS is a community of passionate researchers and practitioners who are working to benefit society through their science, engineering, education, and applications. This year, GRSS is excited to collaborate with the NASA Transform to Open Science Initiative to celebrate the year of open science with a whole down-to-earth season devoted to this very topic. To learn more and get involved in the year-long events and celebrations, visit science.nasa.gov and search for open science. I remember being at Wikimedia and then, you know, of course, doom scrolling and watching the world burn and be like, I feel helpless. What it is can I do? I know that is the motivation for a lot of people, is you want to be able to feel like you are doing something. This is UV Panda. He's a Jupiter and Pangeo core contributor and co-founder of 2i2c.org, an interactive computing community that designs, develops, and operates Jupiter hubs in the cloud. It gave me a space where I could show up and like sort of like provide my expertise, and it is respected, and it is impactful. And it is, you know, like enabling the work of other people who are much cooler than I am and, you know, actually know things about the Earth. UV has been involved in the open source community since he was 16. Similar to me, UV grew up without access to proprietary software. Open source became the community that helped him reach his full potential. I currently live in Berkeley, but I was, you know, I was born in southern India to in a, in a non-upper caste Tamil family. And I've been doing open source stuff in some form or since I was like 16. So that's like 15 years now. I don't really think I set out to be part of open science in some form. I remember being like 10 or 11 and thinking like, so what am I going to be doing in like 12 years, 10 years? And where I was, you know, like just socioeconomically and all of that meant that the most I could think of was like, oh, maybe I'd be like at a call center you know, or like working at a bank or something like that, which are, you know, like labor has dignity no matter what you do. But I was like, you know, I don't want to do that. I want to do something else. And open source was really my gateway into being able to like, okay, this is where I am going to be able to make a lot of impact. And so that's how I got into open source. I did Google Summer of Code. 
And then I was part of Wikimedia, where I learned a lot about how to run large-scale systems uh, in a really open way. Uh, I was until recently responsible for uh, UC Berkeley's uh, big Jupyter Hub, which I think was you know, probably the largest teaching Jupyter Hub in existence, where we were teaching data science to like 15, 14,000 active users. I really deeply care about climate science and also making sure that it is accessible to like the version of me that was like 13, 14 and living in like a different place in a different context. Uh, and so that the new tools we build are super accessible to like, you know, people across from wherever they are. So I'm I'm doing that with the Pangeo project in various ways. I'm also one of the co-founders of 2i2c. The traditional pathway into science was not something that was particularly open to me. Right. So this was like the alternate pathway and it has given me a lot of joy along the way as well. I love that what sparks joy for you is helping other people through open source. That's so cool. Before we dive further into your work, I want to define open source. My understanding is that open source is code for software that is made freely available for others to review, use, modify and enhance. Does this definition align with your experience of open source? What does open source mean to you? Yeah, so I I think of open source as, you know, there are, I think, two separate aspects of it. And I think one is like, you know, like the individual aspect as like, you know, on a per human basis. And it really is about curiosity. I think as humans, we always want to answer like, wait, why did that happen? But also like, oh, what if I do this instead? And open source is really like just allowing everyone to ask those two questions and actually follow through with that. And then the second part is like you're able to actually, you know, either by yourself or work with a community of people and be like, okay, let's change this. And then Mm -hmm. the third part of it is like, oh, okay, like I want to afford everyone the ability to answer these two questions the same way that I could. Right. So then Mm -hmm. you release your code as open source so that everyone else can like, you know, satisfy their own human curiosity as well. So if I can kind of summarize that open source begins with someone being curious about something. Mm -hmm. They then use code to satisfy that curiosity and find an answer. And then finally, they share that code so that others with the same question can find an answer. Is that right? Yeah. So that is like the individual part of open source. But I think there's also, you know, when many individuals work together, there's like collective emergent behavior, right? And like, I think the emergent behavior for open source for me is to just reduce gatekeeping, right? Like, I feel like, you know, like physical goods and objects and spaces have inherent scarcity, right? Like there is only one river, right? Like you can't make infinite copies of that river, but we do exist in a world where you can make a million copies of each piece of software. Uh, So there is currently like, I think, you know, like a lot of gatekeeping and, you know, I think open source really sort of helps like neutralize that. And the reason that I think it really works is because it aligns this collective like good with an individual need to satisfy curiosity. So that's sort of like a baseline of what how I think of it based on like, you know, where I come from. You mentioned the fact that we live in a world of scarcity, but software can be infinitely replicated. So it's not scarce. This makes me wonder about sustainability. I mean, people who work in open source can't just do this work for free, right? Absolutely. Like we don't live in a post-scarcity Star Trek economy, right? Where like you can you know, all your basic needs are taken care of. This is to me the biggest existential challenge really of what open source really means. You know, like I still have to feed me, 
and that costs money that is not going to be like you know oh i helped satisfy someone's curiosity is not something that's going to be able to like you know put food in my mouth uh mm-hmm. so there is definitely a question of that like i do not want to live in the hills as a hermit hacking on python code i want to like exist i deserve to exist as a human in the world that it is and you know there is like a little bit of mismatch i think between like you know some of the ideals that work in open source and like how it matches reality uh and we are still definitely catching up to that there are like millions of people who you know like the only option available to them was python if they wanted to do science and then they've grown up and now they are the people who are setting policy who are actually building the things that they want to use and they are obviously like okay like we're not going to spend you know like millions of dollars getting like a license from like you know some mathematical lab software situation we're going to try and find a way to like channel that into open source because that's what we use and we need to support that in some form i think a lot of the problems that we run into with sustaining it are like societal problems right on like how do you value labor that is invisible um you know and we are like getting both better and worse <laughs> uh, dealing with it as a society uh, from where i am uh, i'm really grateful for like you know say chan zagaberg institute right where they are like sending out a lot of grants into making this happen and of course nasa is doing tops which you know is if if i had thought that something like that would happen 10 years ago i would have just not believed that but you know the fact that you know it's like getting more institutional support i think is helpful so i feel like the next 10 years are going to be really exciting time as we find more ways to sustain open source while recognizing the realities of the world we live in yeah sustainability of open science in general is a big question and definitely one of the challenges to open source are there other challenges that you think the open source community faces i think like there is definitely like telling people oh yeah anyone can contribute to open source it's just like all free for all i think is unfair uh, to a lot of people who cannot do that i think we need structured programs to bring people up into the into our culture and also notice the things about our culture that we need to change uh still a lot of communities are very white you know like so often the lack of exposure and the lack of you know just the diverse awareness has meant that people will have different experiences when they try to contribute to an existing project based on just you know their lived experiences in the past and like who they are so i i do think there is a lot of um like there is a lot that can be done to improve the the social aspects of contributing i think structured mentorship where the mentors are also paid for their time is really important because otherwise you know you're going to end up with you one already somewhat underrepresented person who wants to do all of this work doing just this in a community and then burning out and then not being recognized and then you know that cycle just continues so those are sort of like i think that is actually the biggest challenge for getting people in like just socially it's so different How about technical challenges? Does open source face any technical challenges? I think I think it could be better. I think it is the best that it's ever been so far. I think GitHub was a really big change. I think it removed a lot of gatekeeping from the process. I think the other technical challenge, I don't know, I also feel like it's a social technical challenge is that people, you know, still think of contributing to open source as writing code. But there is a million other ways that you can contribute that are i would say 
far more effective, you know, like people who are running the scientific Python social media accounts, right? Like they put a lot of work into it. They are a deeply integral part of the open source community. The people who are spending hours on like governance calls, trying to figure out how to do this. The people who spend a lot of time doing fundraising, right? Like technically we don't have a way to recognize them for the leaders they are. Uh, the Kubernetes community has an award called uh, Chopping Wood and Carrying Water that they use to recognize people who do these kind of things that is just not visible in pure code commits, you know, and because a lot of the people who write code also end up being the people who run analytics to figure out who has impact. So then it becomes a blind spot, right? Yeah, there are a lot of roles that people in the open source community play that aren't recognized. So what can help broaden how people participate in open source communities? I, I think, you know, liberating programmers from programming is like one of my favorite phrases. I don't remember where I heard it from, but you should be able to consider yourself a geophysicist and then be like, yeah, I write code to do geophysics. I'm not writing code to do software. And I think it's really important for people to just like be able to write code without it having to become part of their identity. And I think there is a lot of organizations that are like trying to make this happen. There's Project Pythia, there's OpenScapes, uh, you know, like there is like, and all of the people who are like, oh yeah, programming literacy, you should just like start teaching it, you know, just like how you teach reading and writing uh, and like simple math, right? Like when you're teaching how people should write, you're not trying to like teach them exactly how to write a novel, right? Like, or write a screenplay but to write a letter, right? Or like write a to-do list. There is a big difference between the skill of writing that you use in your day-to-day -day life or in doing what it is that you want to do and becoming a writer. And I think in the same way, there is a difference between learning to do software to be a software engineer uh, versus learning to write enough code because that is a now a part of your identity as a geophysicist, as an astronomer, uh, as an astrologer, right? Like, or basically any part of like, not just science, but life overall so i think it is just going to become a tool that will be invisible because people are just going to assume that that's how everyone does it because that is how everyone's going to do it as someone who continues to code and faces occasional stumbling blocks when building architectures it is exciting to see potential open source software or resources that might help make coding for my research easier ultimately i want to just be able to do my science without having to worry about all these intricacies behind the coding software and the tools. Compiling and maintaining these tools and software in one single place is part of what Yuvi and his team are doing with 2i2c. We explain how right after the break. Are you a student or recent grad ready to reach your full potential in the geosciences? Then you need to join the Geoscience and Remote Sensing Society. With over 75 chapters in 94 different countries, you'll connect with a diverse community of professionals, experts, and advisors who can inspire your science and help shape your career. Find support and fellowship as part of our Young Professionals Network. Advance your skills through our GRSS schools, student travel grants, workshops, and more. Be at the forefront of geoscience research by joining our technical committees and network with geoscientists from around the world at IGARS, our flagship conference. Our incredible international community is ready to welcome you. Learn more and get connected today by visiting grss-ieee.org. Okay, a couple of years back, I was working on my master's thesis. 
For my research, I wanted to look at creating a model that would use multiple types of data to predict air pollution. This initially involved processing large amounts of data. As I got into the weeds of this work, I found myself facing one big problem. My computer was not capable of processing all the data. Not to mention, I had to download and install all kinds of Python libraries, which was tedious and annoying. Having a data science environment specific to Earth data so I could easily find the right tools to use would have been a bonus. Solving these challenges is part of what UV and his team hope to achieve through 2i2c. 2i2c stands for the International Interactive Computing Collaboration. Together, the team develops, operates, and supports cloud infrastructure and open source tools so scientists don't have to worry about computing power, software, or libraries like I did. Instead, they can focus on the science, while 2i2c takes care of the infrastructure and DevOps. Here's how he explains it. So this is actually one of the, I guess, social technical challenges I see in open source is we now expect to use software as tools. We want to be able to go to like a department store and buy a hammer. We want to be able to go to a website and do a thing, right? We don't want to have to build a hammer ourselves. We don't want to have to like download 400 components and set up exactly the tool that we want to use. So right now, I think a lot of the prevailing narrative is like you have two options. You can spend a lot of your own time and construct open source components into a form that will work for you. Or you can just pay a company and then outsource decisions, but also control over to them. And then, you know, you will be provided with a higher level of abstraction where you can focus on solving your needs and not anything else. 2i2c is sort of like set up as a nonprofit to provide software as a service provider, but purely for open infrastructure. So 2i2c is sort of like, I would think of as an attempt to see like, oh, okay, so how can we do this in a way that is more cooperative, that's more in the spirit of open source without requiring people to like, you know, understand system administration, right? Which is like not really like relevant to their experience. So the way that we have been doing this is like, okay, so we will work with the open source community because a lot of us are the open source community, right? We are like the people who already have been contributing to Jupyter Hub and Jupyter and like Pangeo and all of these projects. So how can we like, you know, centralize some of that Okay, so basically, people who are not as experienced at the back end of coding can have 2i2c manage their hub operations and all the infrastructure bits, so they can focus on coding specifically for their science work. Is that correct? Yeah, so you know, when we go back to the questions of curiosity, you can look at it and like answer to yourself, oh, is this how it works? And also be able to work with the open source community and you know, change it, right? Like, and be like, oh, I want this to be this way instead. But at the same time, be actually able to just focus on your science. You're like not required to have an understanding of the cloud and everything else, right? Like you can just work on your science. Uh, there's this amazing person called Glyph uh, who invented the twisted, you know, ecosystem of async programming and stuff. And so he was talking on Mastodon a few days ago about big C centralized and small C centralized. So something like Facebook is big C centralized because there is only one Facebook, right? While something like email is small C centralized, which is I don't want to run my own email server, but I have a few options to choose from, right? And then they can all talk to each other. And so, you know, like it's not just like, okay, well, like I'm on Instagram and then Facebook makes decisions based on whatever it wants and I have to abide by them. It's like, well, I'm on Gmail and I hate it. So I'm going to move to ProtonMail. 
I can still talk to my friends on Gmail, right? So it's not like, okay, like we are giving you the 2i2c version of this. No, it's just open source stuff that just you don't have to manage that we will for you. But if you end up hiring a couple of you know engineers who can take this on, you can just take this and go. So we're just trying to like get it to like a small C centralized space uh, rather than everyone become a sysadmin space, which is where it is. And the alternative is not a big C centralized where everyone like, okay, if you want to do climate science, you have to first go to this company and talk to them. Mm. Now, 2i2c isn't the only project you're working on. There are other communities you're involved in, right? Yeah. So I'm currently working on the Pangeo Forge project, which really, you know, it's it's really trying to make it easier and more accessible to get like data uh, in a form that everyone can use. Like, you know, right now, if you want to use Python, you just conda install Python and you can go. But if you want to like, say, get like, you know, I don't know, Harley precipitation data for the earth, it's going to take you a week to even figure out how to get access to the data. And that is an accidental complexity that I want to eliminate, right? Like I want you to be able to get access to hourly precipitation data as easily as you can get access to Python. Uh, and so the Pangeo Forge community, which is a broad community, is what I'm currently working with and most excited about. Just quickly, uh, what's the Pangeo project about? Yeah, so that's, you know, what is the Pangeo project is always such a good question because everyone will give you different answers, which I absolutely love, right? Like, so the way I think of the Pangeo project is I think of it as a project that has really come from the practitioners of earth science in working a lot with the people who build the tools so that the tools can solve the problems that they have as best as possible. So it sort of like blurs the line quite a bit between like practitioners of the science and the builders of the tools. And it's not just like, okay, we will have a focus group and our product manager will talk to our users and then come talk to our engineers and then we will decide what to build as much as like, okay, like we want to do a cool demo at this thing next week. Uh, So let's just all like sit together and hack on it and work and make this something happen. So to me, that is sort of like the Pangeo project. Um, And it just happened to have come out of the earth sciences because the earth science people are cool people. Yeah, so that's how I think of it. Given your work in these different communities, what do you think is the future of open source? Um, You know, I, I do believe in the longer, well, medium to long term, like, you know, 50 to 100 years, like, you know, I would I would believe that open science just becomes science and you know like the role of open source in it is just like not debated you know in the same way we don't debate washing our hands right like um so i that is sort of like a vision in the sense of where i think things will go based on where things are now but of course like how do we get there uh is a is a much more complicated question you know when we are earlier talking about the collective and the individual parts of open source just being able to say like, oh, like open source helps me. So I don't have to go and build like a library for doing map projections. Someone already has. I think that like really drives a lot of adoption. And as people who have adopted it and benefited from it become decision makers, I think it's really important for them to advocate for it, uh, to be able to provide resources. Uh, So I think that is one half of it. And I think that's already happening. And then the other half of this is, I think, organizations like, you know, Tidelift or NumFocus or ScientificPython.org or 2i2c, which is, you know, like, so how can these organizations actually support open source, right? Like, if you look at the JupyterLab project, for example, uh, you know, Bloomberg, you know, uses it heavily. And so they have a bunch of developers they pay to work on it. 
but they can afford to do that because they're Bloomberg and have a shit ton of money, right? Like not everyone is there. So right now I think there's a hole in the space of like, okay, we can find a way to support financially maybe $10,000 a year, right? $20,000 a year. How do we do that? I think the answer there is kind of unclear for many organizations, right? Like if, if open sources really help you and you have a decision maker, you might have decision making power for $20,000, right? But not for two full-time hires over the next five years. And so I think organizations that can like help receive that and then do that, I think are really what we need to build. So that's sort of where I hope things go. And what advice would you have for listeners who are interested in getting involved in open source? Uh, I would say do not be afraid. There are going to be places where you might not feel welcome. But by that, it also means there will be places where you will be welcome. And, you know, I hope you find them. And if you are feeling really afraid, I would recommend looking at Outreachy. I would recommend looking at Google Summer of Code. I would recommend looking at Project Pythia. There is a lot of us who want you here and we will do the best it is that we can. And then for people who are already experienced software developers, I want to say that like we know that you know that the earth needs help and your skills can be put to use. It might take a while to find out exactly how, but you are not helpless. There are things you can do. So come and we'll all find things we can do together. One final question. I read in your bio that you do a lot of motorcycling. This is a bit of a weird question, but is there a connection between motorcycling and open source for you? Yeah, so for me, uh, it has actually had a really good impact because it has really helped with my anxiety in many, many, many ways. You know, open source does give you a lot of anxiety, like 100%, no questions asked. Like I've had anxiety all my life. I've been on anxiety medication for a long time. Um, and the motorcycle has allowed me to go off the medication and be like able to deal with it in the healthiest way I've ever been able to deal with it. And, you know, I did a 2,500 kilometer trip over 10 days, like in August. And I was able to meet and stay with only open source people and open science people the entire time because they are everywhere and, you know, you can meet them. And that has led to a lot of collaborations, you know, like Pangeo Forge is something I got involved as part of that trip. Uh, so at least for me personally, I don't know how to drive a car. And this has really allowed me to connect with people in person. You know, to me, that has sort of been the connection there. Talking to UV inspires me. It makes me want to share what I know with other people. I'm not necessarily the greatest coder, but our conversation has made me feel confident that I could find a community where people would welcome me and help me grow my skills. Science should be for everyone, and UV really embraces this perspective. UV's platform gives anybody access to the tools and infrastructure they need to do their science easily, and it's because of open source that he's able to do this work. But as Yuvi mentioned, the open source community still needs more voices to help us identify barriers and bridge the gaps to create an even better community. In our next episode, we'll speak to someone who is pushing for more representation, not only of computer science folks, but of scientists from all fields and disciplines. To learn more about Yuvi and his work, you can find him on Mastodon or Twitter at hackydenim.io slash uvpanda. And I also have a website at uv.in. And, you know, everyone is welcome to email me at uvpanda.gmail.com. And I usually respond, even if I'm responding saying like, ah, oh, this is great, but you should go elsewhere. 
Don't forget to follow the Down to Earth podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And send some love to our sponsors at IEEE underscore GRSS on Twitter and Instagram and IEEE Geoscience and Remote Sensing on Facebook and LinkedIn. This episode was produced by Nicole Bedford from Nicole Bedford Films with help from me, Stephanie Tomampos. Graphics and design by Mylene Briggs of Killam Media. And a special thanks to Yvonne Ivy Parker and Keely Roth for their support. I'm Stephanie Tomampos and you've been listening to Down to Earth.